Merciful Father, accept our offering today through the blood of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of the world. In his name, amen. So in our backyard, we have several bird feeders. I don't know if you're into bird feeding or not, but um, we, we have, they're even broken down by species, okay? Like we, we have a cardinal feeder. All right, and uh, the cardinal feeder is made to hold sunflower seeds. Uh, cardinals like sunflower seeds. A lot of birds like sunflower seeds, especially the black oil ones, because they have. So I, I looked this up on the internet. They have thin seed coats. Okay, I mean the seed is easily cracked. All right, so the cardinals really like black oil sunflower seeds. We also have a goldfinch feeder. And the goldfinch feeder holds, you know what kind of seed? Thistle seed, okay, weed seeds. Uh, thistle, the goldfinches love thistle seed. We have a hummingbird feeder, and you know what hummingbirds eat? Sugar water, yeah, nectar is, is the more, I guess, uh, you know, appropriate term. Yeah, they like nectar. Now how about, uh, let's see, let's, let's go exotic here. What do koala bears eat? Anybody know? Eucalyptus leaves, absolutely, yeah. And how about, how about panda bears? What do pandas eat? Bamboo, yeah, you guys, I know you're still sitting in the front. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, bamboo. Uh, panda bears love bamboo. That's what they eat. Okay, now we'll talk about uh, your diet and mine in just a moment. L last week, you know, we talked about the five major food groups uh, according to dietitians, and then we talked about the two major food groups in Scripture, right? And one was perishable food, and the other was imperishable food. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we'll talk about our diet in just a moment. But here's my question. What did Jesus eat? Or what would Jesus eat? <laughs> How about that? You know, we could even go into business making little bracelets. Um, let's see, WWJE, what would Jesus eat? You know, that's an idea, right? Uh, so what would he eat? When, when he was engaged in his earthly ministry here on, on the earth, what would he consume? What kept Jesus going? Throughout Galilee, he journeyed all around Galilee. Then he went over into the region of the Decapolis, the region of the Ten Cities. He even went up to Tyre and Sidon, that area up there, and engaged some Gentiles in ministry. And then, of course, he came down through Samaria. Remember the woman at the well? Uh, John chapter 4. He makes his way into Judea, which is, unfortunately, was kind of hostile territory, all the way into Jerusalem, all the way to the cross, what was it that sustained Jesus? What kept him going all the way to Calvary? What kind of food empowered him to do so? It would be the Father's will. Yeah. God's will. Yeah, point A under Roman numeral one, what would Jesus eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And remember from the cross, the last words of our Lord before he willingly gave up his spirit, 
No one took his life from him. His last words were, it is finished. And so his goal in life is to do the will of his Father and to finish that work, that work of redemption for us all. And, and this, uh, this statement here, and uh, this would be in our gospel reading for today, verse 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That, of course, is echoed in his prayer in the garden where he prays, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me, this suffering from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Very same idea there in the garden. And when he teaches us to pray, he teaches us to pray, thy will be done. Which, as Luther correctly understood, means the death of our will. When we pray for his will to be done, we're talking about the drowning, the death of our own will. So point B, Christ's attitude is not merely one of submission. He certainly submits to the Father's will, but it is one of consent. He is in agreement with this will of the Father, that he should be the sacrifice for our sins. He's a willing sacrifice. And in John 10, uh, Jesus said this, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I lay it down of my own accord. The lambs that were sacrificed in the temple, I, I dare say they were not willing sacrifices. But the one true sacrifice for sins is precisely that. Point one, despair. This is a quote from Viktor Frankl. He's a, uh, he was a Holocaust survivor. Um, and he said the secret of survival in the concentration camps was to have something that you look forward to. But when people had nothing to look forward to, when they felt there was nothing more to live for, they died. They gave up. They perished. But those who had something yet to do, something to look forward to in life, they were the survivors. And this is what he said. Despair, he put this in the form of, of, a, of a mathematical equation. Despair equals suffering minus meaning. Suffering minus meaning. Suffering without meaning leads to despair. A life without meaning leads to despair. And my friends, Christ's suffering was bearable because he knew, he knew that his life, his suffering, had meaning. It was pleasing to God because it was necessary for you and for me and for all humanity. And point two, Endurance slash joy, even. Let's, let's even put joy in there. Equals suffering plus meaning. Suffering plus meaning. I like the way the writer of Hebrews puts it. Uh, Let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him... And that joy, by the way, 
is the joy of the harvest. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 who think they don't need to repent. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the key. He was looking ahead to you and to me, to our redemption, to our gathering in to the faith, being gathered in. Point three, if you have nothing to live by, meaning there's no compass, there's no guide in your life, if you have nothing to live by, you have nothing to live for. What gives meaning to life is not anything in you or in me. What gives meaning to life is someone outside of you. Someone outside of you who loves you and lays down his life for you. That love is what enables us to love others and lay down our lives for others, to put our own agendas in the back of the bus so that we might serve those whom God has placed in our care. So Roman numeral two, what I would call the eternal life diet, of course it is that food which is imperishable, it is Christ. If, if all you consume is perishable food, you too will perish, eternal. But if you consume the imperishable food, you yourself will be imperishable. Point A, because of what he eats, Jesus becomes the one we must eat. Because he consumes God's will, he is the one whom we must consume. Because he makes the will of God his exclusive diet, we must make him, Christ, our exclusive diet in spiritual matters. In all things spiritual, our food is Christ. But what if you're not hungry? I told the story before, but it bears repeating. One of the pastors in our circuit was making a hospital visit uh, on a woman. And he, he mentioned to her, he said, I brought the sacrament for you. She said, fine. And he said, but first, of course, we must confess our sins because this meal is for the forgiveness of our sins. And she said, I have nothing to confess. And he pressed her a little more on it uh, and saying, well, you know, uh, uh, we're guilty even of hidden faults. Uh, Psalm 19:12, cleanse me, O Lord, from hidden faults. There's things we do that we're not even aware of that are wrong. And surely there's something to confess. She said, no, I have nothing to confess. And his response was, then I have no sacrament to give. Because it's for the forgiveness of sins. There are people out there, and you may have been one of them. I was surely one of them at one time. People who need no forgiveness. They think they are fine the way they are. They don't need Jesus. They're full. They're full, not of Christ, but of substitutions. They're full of other things. There's no room for Jesus. They're full of their own righteousness. They're full of their own presumed goodness. They don't see themselves as lost, condemned sinners. 
My friends, only when you see yourself as lost will you appreciate having been found. Only when you see yourself as a sinner will you welcome forgiveness. And apart from that harsh message of law, Christ means nothing. He's at best an example. And what an example. I mean, who wants to die? But what if you're starving for Jesus? If you are, there's comfort for you. I direct you to verse 37, part B. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never cast out. It doesn't matter how many times you've fallen off the wagon. It doesn't matter how many times you've failed and messed up. You'll find the Lord accepting of you. And any congregation worth its salt will be so as well, accepting of you. Contrast the woman in the hospital with with a man who had this dream. The, The man dreamt that he was standing on the ocean shore and he was weeping because he was grieving over his sins, his many sins, his personal failures, his missed opportunities. And he was wiping the tears away with his hands. And then suddenly, God spoke to him. And God asked him this question. He said, look at your hands and tell me what you see. And the man said, I see my tears. And then he said, well, look in front of you and tell me what you see. And he said, I see the ocean. And then God said this, take your hands and plunge them into the sea. And the man did so. God said, tell me, could you find your tears if you looked for them? The man said, no, I I couldn't find them. God said, your tears are no more. And then God said, those tears are your sin. The ocean is my mercy because of my great mercy for you in Christ, your sins are no more. Now, my friends, that's what it means to feed on Jesus. That's what it means to eat Christ, to believe in his name, in what he's done, to feed on his promise of forgiveness and mercy. Point B, you are what you eat. If your diet is limited to perishable food only, you too will perish. But if your diet includes that imperishable bread of life, Jesus Christ, then you share in his life. Jesus is the bread of life. And to consume Jesus is to believe in him. It is to share in his life, which never ends. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.